last episode, I talked about the process of uncovering my core wound. But just like any healing process, identifying the problem is only the beginning. I still had a long journey ahead of me. I explained during last week's episode that there's life before trauma and life after. Today, I want to do a deep dive about getting to life after trauma. My journey healing from trauma was intense and long. It's still ongoing, although it gets easier, I promise you that. My hope is that through sharing some of my experiences and insights, it can give better perspective for those who have loved ones who've experienced trauma so that you can be better allies and support systems. And I really hope it can help victims of trauma know that there is a way of making it through that darkness. Now, in the last couple years, I think the discussion around sexual assault has been coming out of the dark, hushed spaces and into the light. While it's a tough subject and it's certainly heavy, as we've discussed in previous episodes, it's a good thing when these heavy things come to the surface, especially as a collective, because that means they're ready to be integrated. When I was going to the healing circles with my medicine man, I started to realize that sexual assault and abuse was a lot more common than I thought. And then when movements started coming up about Me Too and Time's Up, I started getting an even bigger idea of just how rampant it was. And this was long before the Jeffrey Epstein and Michael Jackson documentaries came out, Pizzagate, pedophile rings of the elite, and everything else that's coming into the mainstream of consciousness right now. And it's rising to the surface. We're getting the opportunity to introduce it to our loving awareness together. So let's break this down together, step by step. Disclaimer here, I'm not a therapist, doctor, or licensed professional, so my thoughts on this matter are strictly my own opinions that you'll need to take with a grain of salt. You'll need to do your own processing of fleecing out what rings true for your own self. My suggestion? Sit with what resonates and sit longer with what triggers you. I pulled some statistics from Rain for today's episode. Rain is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. One out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. About 3% of American men, or 1 in 33, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. From 2009 to 2013, Child Protective Services agencies substantiated or found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children a year were victims of sexual abuse. 
of victims under the age of 18, 34% of victims of sexual assault and rape are under the age of 12. 66% of victims of sexual assault and rape are ages 12 to 17. 90% of victims are female. Only five out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. It's a 0.5% success rate of getting justice. And it's just not enough. These statistics are coming from reported scenarios. The statistics are overwhelming and to know the real truth is more than what these reports are showing is crushing. When I think of all the people myself included, who didn't come forward. It's beyond devastating. And it's no wonder, since there is a 0.5% chance of getting a shot at redemption. If that was the success rate of a surgery, you would not say that surgery was worth the risk. So there is risk in being a woman. And I hate to say it, but the chances of you knowing someone who has not experienced sexual trauma is way more unlikely than you knowing someone who has experienced it. So I'd say it's time to talk about it. Or at least listen. My trauma stayed hidden and dormant for a long time always lurking on the fringes of my awareness. In many ways, when I look back, I sometimes feel a bit lucky. I got many years of blissful ignorance, but many other victims will remember every thorny detail and still never say a word. A lot of people have issues with that, so coming from someone who's experienced this firsthand, I'd like to help unpack some things. Let's first start talking about Maslow's triangle, the hierarchy of needs. The basic idea is that you cannot be fully open to embodying your full potential if your most basic needs aren't met. At the bottom of the triangle, the base, the foundation, are basic needs for our survival. Food, water, warmth, rest, the need for safety and security. The next level at the middle of the triangle are psychological needs. A sense of belonging, love, intimate relationships, friends, including self-esteem and feeling capable of accomplishment. The top part of the triangle is self-actualization, self-fulfillment, Beyonce level status. In our modern day society, we're always striving to be our best selves, living our best life, Manifesting our every desire, living the dream, rocking it out like your own fully embodied goddess. But if you're unintegrated, 
unacknowledged trauma has you barely clinging to the bottom level of Maslow's triangle, there's no way you're going to be able to truly climb to the top of that triangle of self-actualization and maintain a life up there. You can only fake it till you make it for so long. You're going to keep causing the same patterns of toxic relationships, calling in emotionally unavailable partners, create self-destructive behaviors that will reign supreme. You can say farewell to that Beyonce status. People living with unprocessed, unintegrated trauma are like Sisyphus, the man in Greek mythology who was cursed to push that boulder up the hill over and over and over again. The good news is there's a way to make peace with the boulder. Whether you're trying to work out your own trauma or if you're trying to better understand someone who's got trauma, you cannot try to meet them on the top of the triangle. You've got to start where their heart's at. It's down in the trenches, at the bottom of the hill, down where your basic needs are not feeling met. Making peace with the boulder is a grieving process. There's life before and life after trauma. In order to start living life after, you have to grieve the life you lost first. And when I say live a life after trauma, I mean live. Not just get by, not just survive. I'm talking L-I-V-E, live. So we've got to work through those phases of grief. First stop on the train of grief is denial. Denial can show up in many ways. For victims, denial can look like blocked memories, self-doubt, feelings of guilt, shame, trying to take responsibility for what happened to you. Once my memories of abuse returned, I doubted the truth. I thought, and sometimes prayed, that I had just made it up. It was just my imagination. Or maybe my medicine man had somehow planted the idea into my head. I'd cling to any fallacy that seemed better, even slightly better than the truth. Sometimes denial looks like normalizing it in our heads. I didn't feel like my abuse was that big of a deal because it was just some light molestation. It wasn't full-blown rape, or so I'd tell myself. I've been in situations as an adult where I've said no a few times when an intimate setting with a partner, but then gave in because I could see there was nothing I could do. Or I've thought boys will be boys, or that I had to be polite, putting their needs before mine. I don't want to give him blue balls. We've gone on X amount of dates, so you know what that means. It's what I'm supposed to do, right? He paid for dinner, so he'll be expecting something. Or maybe I have changed my mind, but it's just easier to let him finish than deal with their anger, their whining, their wounded ego. Any of these thoughts sounding familiar? 
Let me tell you something, ladies and gents. We, yes, men and women, we all get to change our minds. We get to say no. Ladies, it doesn't make us a prude, a tease, or a bitch. Men, it doesn't mean you're not a real man, that you can't get it up, or it makes you a pussy. We all reserve the right to honor our bodies for the blessed vessels they are. Everyone involved is responsible for the safety and healthy boundaries being set and met in any intimate setting. Everyone involved is responsible for the safety and healthy boundaries being set and met in any intimate setting. And if you don't feel safe enough or okay or capable to really enforce your boundaries verbally in the heat of that moment, it doesn't make you cowardly or crazy or shitty. You can get clear on how you feel once the hormone levels have settled and you can always voice your needs after the fact when you feel ready to. Also, A physical no can still be a no. If it isn't a full-bodied yes for everyone involved, I do not consider it a yes. And a maybe is a no. A boundary crossed is a boundary crossed. Denial for those on the outside of trauma can look like disbelief, needing to hear every detail, questioning the surrounding circumstances, asking questions like, what were you wearing? Did you say no? When a victim allows themselves to become vulnerable enough to share with another person, you need to understand how much courage it takes to say it out loud to someone else. There's a mountain of guilt and shame that can weigh a victim down. The thoughts and feelings like there could have been something else we could have or should have done have already raced through our heads a million times. We've already run through the list of alternate realities. So if you're presented with sensitive information from the heart of a victim, take them seriously. Victims do not need to also walk you through your own process in addition to unpacking their own, which, by the way, they are doing. Even if this happened years ago and they've gone through years of therapy and they're mostly good, every person they share this information with is still another new layer for them to process through. Some supportive things you can say, I believe you. It took courage to tell me this. Thank you for feeling safe enough to be open and vulnerable about this. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve this. You're not alone. I'm here to help you in any way I can. I'm here for you. I'm sorry this happened. 
acknowledge how they're feeling and let them be present in their feelings. Don't try to fix it or smooth it over. The first step is just being a listener and showing you're actively listening. Next stop on the grief train, anger. Once we've accepted the reality that, yep, this is real, there's going to be anger. Anger at the perpetrator, but more common than not is anger at ourselves. Angry for not screaming out, for not saying something, for not taking a different route home, for not letting him come up for a nightcap, for not wearing something different to the party etc, etc. This is why, as an outsider, asking for specific details can be so destructive. If the victim feels like there's any room for error on their part, this piles on more of the guilt and the shame, the judgment, the self-flagellation, the cycle of self-doubt and anger will bleed us dry and make us feel so much more unlovable than we were already feeling which is not what anyone needs in this space. Which brings us to our third stop, bargaining. Don't bargain with your well-being. As victims, I would never suggest anyone try to navigate these waters without professional support. Find a therapist, a medicine person, a group, Someone who can help douse the fires and be solely in your corner to help remind you of the divine being you still are. Relying on friends or family members as your sole support system isn't always the best option because they have investment in you. They have their own perspectives and opinions. They can feel angry, protective, shocked, afraid, confused, or guilty, and it can be hard to feel supported if they need space to do their own processing. It's okay if they don't have the bandwidth to hold space for you. Try not to take that personally. But if that's your only life raft in these choppy waters, that's not setting yourself up for successful healing. bargaining in regards to the grieving process is often the stage where the decision comes in to take legal action or not. As mentioned earlier, the chances of succeeding are slim to none in most cases, and going through lawyers, the drawn-out court process, money, having to publicly relive your experience and face your perpetrator is oftentimes a price too high to pay for many victims. And that is okay. No one gets to pressure you into making a choice you're not ready to make. I've had many men in my life feel protective and that justice needs to be served, that they need to fix it, I've even had a past partner tell me that he would never be okay if I didn't do something about it. Which, in reality, is his inability to process his own feelings around this sticky subject. 
and his incapability of showing up as a partner and an ally for me. He made it about him. If victims aren't ready, wanting, capable, or whatever to deal with the staggeringly disappointing justice system, I promise you it's not a choice we make lightly. We're already dealing with an onslaught of shame, anger, confusion, and feeling burdened with more disempowerment like they can't even stop the perpetrator from doing it to someone else even if they tried? Yeah, no one needs that. However, if you are wanting to pursue that legal action as part of your healing process, then by all means, grab the bull by the horns. Make sure you're fully stacked with a support team. Do your research. Get professional help and opinions and suit up that armor. I've had guy friends who want to be allies, who tell me how unfair it is if women don't speak up more, to help men learn how to be better. While I see their point, it isn't how it always works. Chances are, most women have been a victim at some point. And you've got to meet the victim where their heart is at. Remember? It's down in the trenches. It isn't the job of the victim to teach the perpetrators how to be better. I once had a friend ask me if I ever thought about punching a guy in the nose to get him to stop when I was in those not quite consensual situations as an adult. I burst out laughing, thinking to myself, it's such a man's way to approach a woman's problem. I hate that I felt like this was only a woman's problem. First of all, it never even occurred to me to punch any man in any way, shape, or form. When we're in danger, it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. When weighing our options in these kinds of situations, we have to choose our actions very carefully. Because in the choice of making the wrong move, the choice becomes getting raped or getting killed. Let's explore the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. If we choose to fight, the calculated risks of making them mad and potentially more dangerous, well, that one quickly gets thrown out of the survival calculations. Flight might not be an option, might make them either angry or more intrigued, which still escalates the situation. So that's out. Next option on the list is freeze. Usually the one most victims opt for. Let them do what they need to do because the chances of me overpowering them are slim to none and I'll deal with the fallout later. This is a thought I've actually had with myself verbatim. Last but not least is fawn which is a newer one I'd heard of as part of the survival toolkit. Fawn basically makes them think you're having a great time so they don't suspect anything is wrong. 
Don't draw any further attention to the fact that you are not okay. Don't feel safe for setting boundaries, but you do want this to end as quickly as possible. So you fake it so it just gets over with faster and then slip away when they're completely oblivious and never speak to them again. This could describe the majority of my sexual encounters prior to working with my medicine man. I thought that was just how sex was supposed to be. Let me tell you folks, it's not. It is far from what sex is supposed to be. Back on track with the next stop on the grief train, depression. Wanting more out of my relationships, my connection with my sexuality, realizing how dysfunctional it was and how unhealthy had become normalized was a vast wasteland that I knew not how to cross. It was one of the subconscious but main reasons I'd kept my eye out for that spiritual thing that could give me a ticket to a whole new life. When you're assaulted, not many people will tell you this, but usually at some point, your body has a natural biological reaction to where it feels good. Sometimes you orgasm. This is where the guilt and shame really comes in for the victim, and where the power gratification occurs for the perpetrator. I felt like an accomplice to my own destruction. I felt betrayed by my body. And this is also why phrases like, it's not your fault, are so important to hear, but also nearly impossible to swallow. When you're dealing with sexual assault with children, there's also another layer of psychological shit you have to unravel. I'd say it's safe to say that most pedophilic experiences were loaded with lots of grooming beforehand. Small steps to normalize inappropriate behavior, creating the illusion of secrets, safe space, emotional blackmailing, contracting them to be complicit, all in an attempt to cover their own asses. But what does this do to the innocent mind of a child? It creates a vulnerable connection that goes incredibly deep. There's a trust, a belief they're special. There's often loyalty and a sense of love and belonging deeper than anything they've ever experienced before, similar to romantic relationships. Statistics say that 93% of perpetrators are known to the victims of child abuse. 93%. Remember how the middle of Maslow's pyramid is all about feeling safe, a sense of belonging? If your sweet, pure, innocent child heart is being held hostage by someone who's abusing you, that you trust and maybe have complicated feelings around because you don't know any better not to, 
and you create intimate bonds with this person that you have to keep secret, including chemical connections in your brain, this knot is difficult and destructive to unwind. It's destructive when you are taught that these kinds of behaviors are wrong or bad because you were slowly led into the deep end of the pool. It didn't seem bad at the time. Maybe you were confused. This is someone you trusted. This is someone you care about. There is often a sense of protection the victim feels, either by genuine caring from this deep connection or through emotional blackmailing or both. And the real nasty part is that you agreed to this, didn't you? As an adult, I understand it wasn't my fault, but my childhood self doesn't believe that for a second. In the abuse, you're being treated like an adult, or at least someone mature enough to keep a secret. Doing intimate things can feel special. They treated me like an adult, so I thought of myself as one. There's a part of me that liked how that specialness felt. So saying this is wrong and bad means I must be bad too, right? I'm bad, wrong, dirty. That's what my childhood self believed when I started going through my healing process. Also, saying no to an adult is scary as a kid something we're taught heavily not to do. So there's a sense of shared accountability for the burden of brokenness you're now drowning in. More statistics show that the effects of child sexual abuse can be long-lasting and affect the victim's mental health. Victims are about four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse than non-victims. Victims are about four times more likely to experience PTSD as adults. And victims are about three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as adults. The waters of abuse are murky and ever-changing. I've tried to touch on the multitude of my own personal experiences as well as in more general terms to hopefully paint a picture that can not only show how complicated this issue is to navigate, but to also help people, victims and non-victims alike, to understand it's never as cut and dry as we want it to be. Which leads us to the last stop on the grief train, acceptance. Pedophiles and perpetrators weren't created in a vacuum. My abuser, who chronically assaulted me as a child, I know for a fact was abused as a child himself. This doesn't excuse any of his action. This makes none 
of his choices okay. But it helps me to have greater capacity for empathy towards the whole situation in general. My abuser was trying to work out or make sense of his own trauma. Again, it was not okay at all. But I felt that a part of me, that young, innocent, sweet, pure heart of mine, wanted to help take some of that pain away. I shouldn't feel shame or guilt for wanting to help or for being completely naive to the fact that that was not my place. But the part of me that had enough love who wanted to help even in the darkest of places, that is a beautiful part of me and I refuse to allow that to be buried under piles of guilt, shame, anger, or fear. When we experience trauma, if we aren't given the help and the tools to process and to cope, we have one of two options to choose from. We either become the victim or the perpetrator. Perpetrators act out their frustrations on the world around them. Victims redirect and internalize all that frustration and take it out on themselves. So what we're dealing with in the world of sexual assault is a drastic imbalance of the masculine and feminine. The concept of boys will be boys needs to be rerouted in the collective psyche. The normalized objectification of women needs to be smoothed from our accepted behaviors of the community. There's a lot of heavy programming we're needing to override as a global consciousness. But the good news is that we are waking up all over the globe. We're not accepting the old decrepit tolerated norms to be barely enough anymore. We're all wanting to live more meaningful lives. But that means we need to clean out the dead rot before we can start rebuilding something better, something new. Living in such a way of taking proper care of ourselves is just the first chapter. What's next beyond that is to live in harmony with others, to cherish and take better care of one another, the ones we love, and the ones who are also on this planet we're all sharing. We have a greater responsibility to one another, but it first starts with ourselves. Until next time, take care of yourselves, Earthwalkers so we can join together to take even better care of each other.